0: Dany told me that when she was a kid, she's sitting in the dentist's office and, and the dentist goes, she doesn't need a shot. She had a cavity. She doesn't need a shot. Just start drilling. That's one of her better memories. And she said that she was like second or third grade. So she's laying in the chair, kicking and screaming. And her mom's going, it's all right, baby. You know, patting her hand and doing all that stuff. She just has a horrible, horrible images of the dentist. Some of y'all can relate, right? Well, in this series, Life's Healing Choices, some of you are viewing this whole idea of dealing with your past, this whole idea of getting well from your hurts, your habits, and hang-ups, kind of like going to the dentist's office. Some of you are like, dude, just get me through it. And, and I know some of you do not want to look at your stuff in your past because it's kind of painful. And so you think, if I just get this death grip with my buns on the chair and just sit here and don't do anything, don't admit anything, don't tell anybody anything, I will get through it. Right? Nobody's woohooing that one. Because you're so afraid of what you might discover about your past. But you're going to see today that God has a very different way to comfort and hope than we do. So what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit different image. And you're going to hear this from Carlene in just a minute. I want to suggest that life healings, life's healing choices is more like being freed from a prison. I was watching TV a couple weeks ago and there was a guy in Dallas been in, in jail for 15 years for a crime he didn't commit. DNA evidence exonerated him. And, and they had the cameras there when he walks out of the Dallas County Jail. How do you think he felt? Big old smile on his face. He, he wasn't bitter at all. He said, I am just so grateful to be freed. If I could show you how to be freed from your past, from the hurts, the habits and hang up that dominate your past, from all of the stuff that people said to you and did to you, the relationships that went south. If I could show you how to be freed from that, how the prison doors could swing open, would you be interested? Okay, that's where we're headed today. So with that in mind, this being freed from the prison of our past, let's check out Carlene's video.
1: Woohoo.
0: At least it changed the screen.
1: After losing my husband, which was about six years ago, I was lost and scared and a host of other emotions. Just trying to survive, actually. I had two boys that were in high school when he passed away, and I was just trying to survive. I knew there was more, but I didn't know where to go or what to do. A friend of mine had told me um, about New Life Community Church. And I just, I looked at him and said, I don't wear dresses. And his comment was, wear well, shorts if you want to. And I would not. But he was very persistent. after about four months of him me, I decided to give it a try. So one Sunday, I got up and I went. And I dragged my mother, or she dragged me. I guess it depends on how you look at it. And the message made sense to me. It kind of fit in with what was going on with my life at the time. So I continued to come, which led to small groups. As you know, if you've been there, you've got to go to a small group. After trial and error, CR became my small group. It seemed to work the best for me. Um, I could choose to talk. Or I could not talk. Uh, one of my issues. When I listened to the talk of others in the CR group, um, I realized that I was very blessed by God and it could be even more so if I could understand his word and would admit it to my problems, um, sins, hurts, habits, hang-ups, whatever you want to call them, the little at that time didn't know how many I had. The first issue I have uh, but was clearly evident, evident to me was the uh, money issue. After losing my husband, you lose that income. It's a very tight situation. Plus, he was ill, so had, I had a lot of medical bills so that I was concerned about. I decided to take Doug on a challenge. His challenge was: if you give ten percent to the church, and God doesn't meet your needs or my needs in this case, then He would give me back my money. I'm still living. Through CR, what I've discovered that if I can admit and understand that nothing is in my control, um, such as the death of my husband, and only through faith can I handle them. A couple years ago, the, the thing was the big bracelet, what would Jesus do? Sometimes you just got to stop and think. And what does the book say? What does the book of life say? His say? How, do you, how, do you, how do you handle the situation? The uh, confidence he calls in the small group Is just amazing. It allows you to say things that you've never said to anybody else and know that it won't go that far. Now, I suspect that, like me, it's going to take more than one 12-step for me to get where I'm going. But that's me. You know, you may be wiser, smarter, whatever, and get to it the first time, but not me. At some point in time, if you're going to go farther and become a servant of God, you're going to need to admit it at some point in time that not everything that happened to you was your fault and that you can control it. And first you got you gotta be willing to admit that sometimes you're wrong, and that's hard for me because I hate being wrong. To the women in the 12 step study that I went through for knowing all my bad stuff and still caring about me. I want to say right now, thank you. Um I'm not going to tell you the names, sorry. But even more important, even more important to me than them trusting and caring me is helping for me to learn that trust and showing that I matter to them, even when I'm struggling with one of my issues, being an old one that I thought I'd conquered and it's come back up, or being a new one. They listen without judging me. Um, I think if God can give me the blessings of having friends, even knowing what I've done in the past, then I can give to others so that they can have the same acceptance and forgiveness that I am finding through God. And I think that is the hope and the faith and the understanding that God wants you to get. I think the more you know, um, the better servant you can be to him, the closer you can get to him and the more the opportunity to help others. Thank well, for you for letting
0: that me share. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Carlene. Um, one of the things that she said in there, uh, we had to edit part. Of, oh, yeah, give her a hand, give her hand. We so could have done that live. I mean, come on, Carlene. Uh, when she walked in my house, I said, you're looking for this. She said, I am scared spitless. Um, and that was just the camera, so she wouldn't want to get up here in front of you all. But one of the things that she said, see, Celebrate Recovery happens on Sunday nights from 5 to 7, and that's the open meeting time anybody can come after a teaching or a testimony. You, the, the women split up and the men split up, and they have what's called open share groups. And anybody can come at any time during the year and, and join in that. The step study happens on a different night, and it's much more intense. And, and that's what she was saying was she's this is now her third time to go through step study. You have a notebook, you work through the questions, you come and you talk about it's all about you and your issues. Nobody tries to fix you. They just listen. And so she said the first time through, she told me it was just kind of surface. She, she did this stuff. Second time through, she discovered a lot of stuff. She said, I'm looking forward to going through this again because I know God's going to show me some more stuff that I need to get through in my life. Now, if she can change and, and, and share something because she was one that would never even have wanted her name mentioned in public, let alone do a, a testimony like this, then I think her message to you is you can change as well. If you want to be free from the prison of addictive behavior, of hurts that seem to define you, you keep making bad choices based on your past, if you want to be freed from that prison, I've got good news for you today. You can be free. Look what the Bible says in Galatians 5.1. We have freedom now because Christ set us free. Christ made us free. Another translation says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What a lot of Christians do though is they hide inside the jail cell, hide inside their past because at least it's familiar. At least I'm comfortable here. The door is open. Christ has given us the way to be free. But a lot of Christians are still caught up in their past because they're not willing to walk out that door. Now, what we said last week was our first sermon in this series. It last week was the uh, the reality choice. And here's what the reality choice says in Celebrate Recovery. I am messed up. I admit it. I'm powerless to change my life on my own. Today, we're going to look at the second choice you've got to make if you are going to be free, if you're going to get out of that prison. And here it is. I choose to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him and that he has the power to change me. Now, where all of this is coming from is Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. The second point comes from Matthew 5.4. Here's Matthew five, four. They are blessed who grieve. Now, we, we said last week that the definition of blessing is the tangible and intangible favor of God, but the real simple explanation is happy. So, they are happy who grieve, for God will comfort them. Now, when you think of grieving, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Sadness? Where do people people grieve the most? Funerals or at the hospital when something really difficult has happened. Can you just imagine Jesus is sitting on a mountain? Hence the Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting on a mountain. He's teaching people. He's he's teaching like no one ever has before. There have been scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, that have taught for hundreds of years, thousands of years, but nobody's ever taught like Jesus. People are hanging on His every word and He goes, you'll be happy if you grieve. People are going, what? what? What are you talking about? Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying the thing that I'm most often trying to avoid, the thing in my past that I would never want anyone to know anything about, that's the path to real comfort. That can't be right, can it? My secrets? Admitting my secrets and mourning and grieving over my secrets, that's how I get God's comfort? I don't want to feel bad about my... I don't even want to admit I have faults. I want to pretend I don't have any faults. But what we've said here at New Life is real people, real problems, and through Christ we can have real answers. So I have to own up to my faults, admit I have them, grieve over my messed up life and the messed up things I've done to others, and that's the path to God's comfort. And you see, some of the biggest critics in your life and in mine... They're not owning up to their own faults. They're just diverting attention away from their own faults when they attack you and me. So don't even worry about trying to please them. Let's try to please God and figure out what God has for us. We've got a lot of different paths to comfort and hope. And all of them uh, have to do with me trying to get to a place of comfort and hope just as quickly as I possibly can. We as human beings don't want to go through a process. I just want the comfort and healing as fast as possible. And because of that, our past, the comfort and hope have to do with things like alcohol. I don't feel comfortable about my life, so I'm going to drink to deaden the pain of my life. I take a drink, maybe it'll make me feel better. Maybe I take lots of drinks because my life sucks. And maybe I take lots of drinks and I'll feel better. And that's what comforts me, comforts me. My life has been so traumatic. My week has been so hard. I can't wait to get wasted. Everybody's working for the weekend. Woohoo! Party time! Excellent! Right? If you spend all your time thinking about the next drink, the next time you can get wasted, the next time you can medicate your pain, what does that say about your life? What does that say about, if you're a Christ follower, what does that say about your relationship with Christ? Let me tell you what it says. It says you have issues that you're not willing to confront. And so you need the bottle to medicate your issues. Now, the Bible doesn't say don't drink and and nobody in our church, you know, comes and tries to figure out I've been in churches where there were where there was an the alcohol police, you know, they'd go and they'd check your fridge or whatever. We don't do that. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. The Bible says don't don't get drunk. And and so if your whole purpose is to get drunk, see the reason the Bible says that is it is the polar being drunk, what happens? You lose your inhibitions, you lose your freaking mind. Right? That's the complete opposite. The Bible says, do not be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with God's spirit, God shows you stuff and tells you stuff. You have a heightened sensitivity to other people. Your heart goes out to broken, hurting people. Not when you're drunk. You are deadening all of your pain and you can't possibly be the person God wants you to be when you're wasted. That's what it is. It's not about drinking. It's not about having a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is when you're medicating your life because you hate your life. Oh, I don't hate my life. I just like being drunk. Well, how stupid are you? I mean, because I think if you are just hiding in the bottle, I think you've got issues. That you're not willing to confront. But let's move on to everyone. Because somebody's saying, I don't drink. Well, I'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> You're afraid of that, aren't you? Some of you, it's drugs. Some drug makes you feel good. Some of you, your path to comfort and hope, it's gambling. Oh, dude. Anytime life feels uncomfortable, you feel you don't have hope, you, you might run off to Shreveport. You go, or you go online, and all of a sudden you you get this excitement. I watched people. We wa- we had to walk by the you know the, the casino on the cruise boat because there's on all the cruise boats now. I watched people spend hours and hours in there putting money in, just the hope that they're going to win something. It's a rigged game. But the the thought that maybe I can win something gives me a little bit of hope because I don't have any hope in my life. That's how people get addicted to gambling. Other people they're they're at the comfort and I just can't comprehend this one shopping I feel bad about my life so I'm going to spend some money cuz that'll make me feel better shoes how many pairs do you need to make you feel better She's not here, but someone's going to tell her. You can you can be sure that someone will tell her. Um, <laughs> if I buy something, it makes me feel better. Some people, it's sex. Guys, some of you, you're trying to deaden the pain in your life with pornography. Illicit images. And honestly, the reason I think most guys like Pornography is because every chick on the internet or that's in some seductive pose seems to want you. It's all about you. It's all about me. I, I'm just telling you because I know. I come out of a pornography background. And you're so so worried that people won't like the real you that some chick on the internet, she wants you. Ladies, let me just tell you this. This, this. this is for free. If you want your man sexually, and I'm talking about married people, okay? <laughs> I mean, honestly, JD and I had sexual desires before we got married, but we we waited. But ladies, if you desire your husband sexually, dude can conquer the world. I'm telling you. Work can be horrible. They can lose their job. You want him? Hey, baby. I'll give me a new job. I mean, and they don't consciously say that, but I'm telling you, there's not a man I know, I've never come across one, who wants to make love to a woman who's just going through the motions. Some of you are going, shut up! (laughs) My my man's a pervert. That's all he thinks about sex. (laughs) Be grateful to God. He wants you. And pray that maybe you'll desire him because the male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. You don't want him. The rest of his life falls apart. I'm telling you. Okay, let's get back on. Comfort and hope. Comfort and hope. Other people, it's food. Oh, shoot. You eat to to escape to this place of comfort and hope. Other people, it's anger. Believe it or not, some people, the only way they can feel better about their life is to make you feel miserable about your life. And so they use anger to bully and push you to where you don't feel good. And in some perverse way, they feel better about their lives. Now, we could go on and on. Some of you, it's work. You become addicted to work. I'm going to work because I get my self-esteem through work. The rest of my family can go to hell. And I mean that their souls can go to hell. I am going to get my adrenaline rush, my feelings of worth. I'm going to get comfort and hope from my job. Well, let's move on because here's what I want you to write about our paths to comfort and hope every time this applies to your path to my path to comfort and hope. If it's not based on scripture, three words. First of all, it's an escape. You are trying to medicate the pain of your life by being focused on something else. If I don't think about it, if I don't think about it, it'll go away. But the second thing is it's temporary. And the third thing, it's addictive. At best, your path to comfort and hope gives you something that is temporary, that is fleeting. And it's addictive because you've got to try more and more of it. Have you noticed that workaholics, they don't, get, they don't work less when they get older. They tend to work more and more and more because that's where their adrenaline comes from. Alcoholics, pornography addicts, any type of addictive behavior. You've got to do more and more the next time to get that same adrenaline rush. And it's always temporary. And when you try to deaden the pain in your life, be real honest with me. Have you noticed that even though you can deaden the pain physically... And you can comfort yourself at least temporarily through the bottle or through something. When you wake up the next day, is your soul comforted? Do you go, the peace of God just guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That's what I'm feeling when I have a hangover. No. You need more. So it's temporary. The reason many people miss the life that God has for them is because they say, Lord, I don't want to grieve, but I do want your comfort. Lord, I don't want to do what you have to say. I want to ignore you. I want to disobey everything I do know that you tell me to do. I want to ignore all that and I want you to bless my life. God says, are you serious? Blessing always comes after obedience. Comfort always comes after obedience. So let's figure out how to get on God's path to comfort and hope. First thing I've got to do, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to trust God's path, I've got to see who God really is. You cannot trust someone. I'm sorry, you do not trust people you do not know. Many of you think God is looking to ruin your fun. You think that God is like this, this cosmic killjoy dude that's always peeping over your shoulder, looking for something that you're doing, I gotcha, and to ruin your life, right? That is not true. God is not waiting to condemn you. Even though some so-called Christians will tell you that God is out to condemn you because you're so sorry? No. I don't care what they say. No matter what your feelings are, you've got to decide, am I going to trust my feelings? By the way, are your feelings always right? Just say no. No. they're not. You're going to trust your feelings or are you going to trust the event that split history in two? The only life that changed our calendar into... B.C. and A.D. And that event happened when Jesus Christ stepped into skin and became a human, lived on on this earth, died on the cross, and was resurrected again. That says, I love you. You matter to me, regardless of what your feelings say. Look at what uh, Romans 8.34 says. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No! There's an exclamation point there for a reason. Easter is all about God telling you He is not condemning you. He's on your side. Will Christ condemn us? No, for He is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us there in heaven. Is God a condemner? You're not convinced. Is God a condemner? No. Thank you. Is God a condemner? No. But that's not what my last pastor said. I don't give a flying flip what your last pastor said. I don't care what your mama, your daddy said. I don't care what mean people said to you in your past. I'm telling you what God says about you. And He says, I will not condemn you. You cannot get so far away from God that He quits loving you. You know, the reason I think we fall for this, is kind of like when you go into a dark house. Just for a second, I didn't tell the guys about this. Turn off all the lights in here. Turn off that one too. Now, if you were to walk in here and this screen wasn't on and your eyes hadn't adjusted and somebody goes, it's spooky. Man, our old building, dude, that, I think that was haunted. It made noises. I'd always think somebody's coming in. I would hear steps coming up, up the, the steps. I would hear footsteps coming up and I'd go and look and nobody's there. And I'm like, dude, this place is jacked up. But my kids, if you walk in here at night, we've done this when it's totally dark and and your your eyes hadn't adjusted and somebody goes, it's spooky in here and I'm thinking it's not as an adult I'm thinking it's not spooky and then someone reaches over and finds a light switch hit the light switch for me and then all of a sudden you see because when it's dark your mind can play tricks on you there used to be this pathway I'd have to run out to the garage when I was a kid and tell my dad that it was time for bed and I hated it because it was the black hole and it was just dark and and I I would go outside and I'd be walking then run as fast as I could Smash into the garage door, and dad's like goes, huh? Yeah, Dad. Time for bed. Now run back. Flip on the light switch. Nobody was out there. See, our feelings jack with us, and somebody just mentioned something, and we're messed up. What I want to do today is I want to flip on a light switch for you to show you what God is like. He's not a condemner. And I want to show you some truth. And in fact, I want you to write truth. These, these next two verses on your listening guides, I want you to write in capital letters truth next to these verses. And, and somebody here desperately needs to hear this. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, the Lord God, are kind and merciful. You don't easily get angry. Your love can always be trusted. Write truth. Capital letters next to 2 Corinthians 1.3. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Some of you hadn't been told that God doesn't get angry very easy. Some of you have been told that God gets angry all the time. You need to hear God's truth. Now, this is a little bit different translation, but many of you have heard the 23rd Psalm. And here's verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, you may have heard it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Here it says, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And some of you, some people are actively looking for reasons to say, Ah, I knew God was mean. There it is. He's got a rod and his staff. He's he's mean. He's going to whoop me. Well, do you know who the writer of this psalm was? David. David, before he became the greatest king of Israel, he was a shepherd. And a shepherd had a rod and a staff. And the purpose of that rod, that shepherd's crook, was comfort. If a sheep, which is very stupid, by the way, and I think it's not a coincidence that God says we're all like sheep. Let's just be honest. We said we're real. I can do some of the dumbest things. Caleb did something yesterday. We're going out to the, the deer lease and he said, Man, I'm becoming just like you. And I said, that is the curse in life, my son, is to become like your father. I said, I'm like my daddy. There's some great things about my daddy I love, and there's some bucket-headed things about my daddy. And, and he said, not only am I goofy, I'm kind of clumsy, Dad. And I'm like, shut up. You know, you don't have to tell me that, that I'm kind of clumsy because I, I can do some dorky things. Um, <laughs> but here the thing is, the sheep, when it's walking along a path, sheep are so dumb that they won't stay close to the mountain. They'll go over and check over. There's a cliff. Think, I'll look. And you and I do that, too. We get right up next to the edge. And what a, sh- what a shepherd was supposed to do, a good shepherd, because you had to count your sheep. And you had to bring all of them back or you were going to pay for that one sheep that wasn't there. So a good shepherd would take his rod, his staff, he would reach over and gently correct them back to the path. Some sheep are dumber than others. Some sheep you got to hit to get back to the path. Now, it's not because you're... Well, you may be mad at them at the moment, but the, the whole purpose of that is to keep the stupid sheep from falling over and killing itself. So the fact that I have a loving God who doesn't want me to destroy my life and the lives around me? That gives me comfort. Love and discipline are not incompatible. I could argue for a long time that if you don't discipline your children, that's a counterfeit love. You see kids running out in the middle of the street? That's a lack of butt whipping. You don't you play games, you tell your kid to come and they run? Read a story about a mom that had always the kids had always run. One day she said, Come here, and the kid took off running, ran right out and got hit by a car and died. Don't tell me that a lack of discipline is loving. It's not. It's a counterfeit love. So if I've got a God who loves me enough to discipline me, which is what the Bible says. And he tells me that if I really am a loving father, I'm going to discipline my children. It doesn't matter whether I'm popular. God didn't call me to be popular with my kids. God called me to be a dad. I'll be popular later when they have kids and I come and rescue them from their own children. Then we can be popular. God didn't call. And I love my son. I love my daughters. I love hanging out with them. But I had to tell one of them the other day what you just did crossed the line and there's no more grace. Because I'm not going to let you become a teenager that's a punk. So next time, I'm just telling you, this is grace. All about grace. All about love. Next time, I'm going to bust your butt. Yes, sir. I'm such a mean dad. I don't care how mean my kids think I am. I'm going to discipline them. And I pray and I thank God that He disciplines me. See, God is not a weak God. Compassion doesn't mean He puts His arms around you and goes, that's okay, you just destroy your life and I'll love you anyway. You just destroy everyone who loves you and it's okay. Love and discipline, two sides of the same coin. He disciplines us out of love. So we have to see who God really is. He's a loving God who disciplines us. Second thing, we've got to see who I really am. We said last week, I've got to admit that I've messed up. I've got to admit that I'm broken. The Bible says it this way in Romans three twenty three: Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. How many people have sinned? Everyone. You, me, everyone except Jesus Christ. And deep down, we've all, we all know this. And, and when I talk to people... Um, I've never had somebody say, I don't care how proud, arrogant, how far from God, I've never heard someone say, you know, I've just never messed up. No one's ever told me that. But isn't it true that we spend enormous amounts of time and energy trying to pretend like we've got it all together? Putting on masks. How you doing? I'm great. When your life is falling apart. Deep down inside, we know it's true, but we want to hide from the truth. We want to pretend it's not there and cover it up instead of be honest about it. And I just want to let you in on a little secret. Everyone already knows you're messed up. Everyone. You're not fooling anyone but yourself. You are in denial. Ask my children, is your daddy messed up? I know that's right, baby. That's what they'll tell you. My dad is messed up. <laughs> so we're just not going to pretend. And see, if you're going to pretend, look what the Bible says in Luke 12 too. Jesus is speaking. He says, you can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. Since people already know we're messed up, why do we pretend? Why, why spend any more time Doing the hypocrite thing, because everybody here, nobody, nobody admires hypocrites, right? That's one of the number one reasons why people don't come to church. Too many hypocrites there. We own up to that. You look at our website, it's on the front page. We are not normal, we are messed up, we know we're hypocrites. We're just gonna tell you up front. We're human, we will disappoint you. <laughs> you wanna come join? Yeah. <laughs> We're the most messed up church in Palestine and we want everybody to come because we like to share the love. See, the first step is I'm messed up, but don't stop there. Not only am I messed up, second step is I am loved. Holy cow! The One who created me knows how messed up I am and He loves me anyway. Man, there's comfort in that. Human love fades, but God's love never does. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. I will always love you, God is saying. That's why I've been so patient and kind. Sometimes my kids do things and I think, I will destroy you. I mean, that's what goes through my mind. I'm going to jail because I'm going to destroy you. And then, you know, the love of Christ sets in and God is patient with us because he loves us. And he's offered this free gift to every person who wants to be free from their past, who's hiding in that prison cell. It's a free gift. He's got the keys. How do you receive a gift? <laughs> Give it to me. You, you you receive it. You receive and you believe. You accept it, you open it, you use it. God's offering you freedom from your past right now. But you've got to ask for it. And so, if, if you want freedom from your past, just in your mind, the real quick prayer, God, I receive your gift. I want forgiveness. I want a new life. Here's the key. Jesus Christ says, best I know how, I invite you into my life right now. Say that prayer. Say that prayer. And the door of your prison cell will be opened. And God will begin to walk you through your past and your pain. And as you grieve about your mess-ups, that's the path to God's comfort. Now, this starts us on this path. Seeing who God is and seeing who I am. But there's one more thing you've got you to see in order to get God's comfort and hope. And here it is. I've got to see how God can change me. And a lot of us are afraid of change for a couple of reasons. Some people are like, I'm so busy changing diapers, I don't have time to add anything else into my life. I'm so busy with life right now, doing life, I'm just trying to survive. i got my head just above water, and I can't add anything into the hopper. Welcome to the human race. There's a song out, I hadn't even heard it. Somebody told me about it, it said, sounds like life to me. Yeah, y'all heard it. Okay, country and western fans. That's why I hadn't heard it it's country western. <clears throat> Not that there's anything wrong with that. I dance to country and western, but I don't generally listen to it. Totally off subject. I'd like to change my life, but I don't have time. Another reaction a lot of people have when I say God can change your life. A lot of people say, man, I've tried that. Who are you kidding, dude? I have tried before. I've prayed before. I've tried. I've disappointed my family. I've disappointed myself. I think I've disappointed God. Why even try again? Well, both of those reactions are centered on you. Both of those reactions come from a fear that I have to do it myself. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to see that... that. God's power, God's grace, God's power to change you comes from God. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? That means wake up, dipstick. Duh. Okay, just that's that's my interpretation of this scripture. Wake up, you dork. Have you never heard? Have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of His understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Anybody ever felt like they were powerless? Anybody ever felt like you didn't have strength, you were weak? Those are the people God gives power to. When you're full of yourself, there's no room for God. When you are empty of yourself, God will fill you. Even youths, youths, my cousin Vinny. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's not all on your shoulders. God's power to change. Listen to these next few words. This is very critical. God's power to change is God's. Power to change. Where's your name in that sentence? God's power to change. Carlene's power to change? No. Doug's power to change? Jeff's? No. God's power to change is God's power. We read last week, same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available for you. God can raise the dead. He can change your circumstances. God can raise the dead. He can comfort you and give you hope. God can do things you and I can't do and it's His power to change. Now, in this verse, it talks about eagles. God's power is like eagles. Let me kind of give you just a, a little example of, of the difference here. God's power is like an eagle. Your power, my power, is like a hummingbird. Stick at that hummingbird up there. Where'd Jeff? Is it on there? We saved it. It's somewhere on there. Anyway, y'all have seen a hummingbird, right? This hummingbird. I can't even do it. What do they do? They flit here, they flit here, they flit here, they flit here. Oh, there's some nectar. Have you seen their wings in slow motion? They're just as fast. They go from bush to nectar, nectar to bush. They're just going all over the place. They They flit, they flit, they flit, they flit, they flit. Your effort to change your life is like a hummingbird. You're just beating your wings faster and faster and faster and you're getting nowhere. And you've tried all in your power and you've tried to do this and you've tried to do this and you've tried to do this and you are breathing hard (laughs) because your efforts are wearing you out. God's power? It's like an eagle. You ever watched an eagle? You know, they can go to 10,000 feet without even flapping their wings. You know how the, the hummingbird can go? He can barely flit above your house. But an eagle? They spread their wings and they soar. They catch these updrafts. How do they do that? God designed their wings to catch these updrafts, these thermal updrafts that we don't even see. And they just soar. The Bible says your soul was designed by God to soar on His power his love, His grace. And if you're not soaring, it's because you got hummingbird syndrome. And you've been trying to get better in your power. If you're tired, depressed, angry, hurt, lonely, you got hummingbird syndrome. And God says, I designed you to be like an eagle.